0: As we continue through the Book of Malachi, a time hop series, uh, we're seeing God's final word for four hundred years. He speaks to his children. And so we're seeing these things that a dad would look at his kids and say, Now these are some of the most important things I want you to know before I leave. It's a father sitting with his kids. and our text would be context, it would be a father sitting with his kids knowing he and he has a little bit of time left, and he's saying, I desire that you do this. I notice this about your life. Would, Please, before I pass, would you make sure that you do this? And, and so God spoke through Malachi. Malachi's coming to his, his people. And for 400 years, he won't speak again until John the Baptist comes. And so this book is his last letter. Think about it that way. His last letter to his children. And so as he walks through this book, you're going to see what's important. Very, very important to him. So important that he wants them to hear it. So it's a time hop series. It's taking truths from the past about 3,000 years ago, and we're taking that time hop and bringing it today, and we're seeing this truth that apply to us today. And so in light of that, I've been pulling some pictures from social media for my time hop app, and here's some photos that came across this week on my on my TimeHop app, here's a photo that came up, and I, I inserted it in howold.net. How many, anybody ever try that? Here's something to do. You take a picture, and you go to howold.net, and it shows you how old you are. Every single picture, Ann is 12 years younger than me, just everything. In fact, there was one portrait of mine. I was 67, and she was 34. Like, it's about robbing the cradle. like, yeah. Um, But it's a fun site to go to, but it it just shows you, it it takes your picture and throws it up, but I threw it in there. Another photo that came up in my time hop, uh, four years ago this week, I was in Alaska with Sam Armington, who attends here, who takes on on, uh, adventures, and he's a guide. We went to Alaska for eight days, camped out in a tent, went black bear hunting, and that was the vessel that we took with the Kodiak that we glassed, and I killed a black bear four years ago in Alaska. That was a trip of a lifetime for me that came up this week. Another photo that came up uh, this time one year ago. I was in Cambodia, uh, and i uh, jumping rope. And those of you who have been in flight club, that's why I jump rope right there. <laughs> in fact, um, it was interesting. Some of the children said, Pastor Jim, you jump rope very good. <laughs> well, let me tell you why. <laughs> so if you ever get to go to uh, our Asia's Hope, maybe you'll come this Wednesday night, and maybe you'll travel this trip. Uh, j- they love to jump rope. Another photo that came up was... Uh, uh, Hannah, three years ago this week, she graduated from high school. And last week, she, took, she graduated from college, but I posted this. She was singing on the worship team that Sunday. And uh, so my daughter Hannah graduates tomorrow night. The greatest gift the daughter can ever give her dad is knowing that she has a saving relationship with Jesus I can sleep at night knowing this because God is always with her and we will always see each other here on earth on the other side of death. Every parent is here. Isn't that the greatest gift your kids can give you to follow Jesus Christ? And, um, it's a precious picture of her. And then there was a portrait I got taken with the kids with our sign out in front of. Some of you have been there. Brewhart's, uh Anna, you've been there. Um, and so that was a picture taken with the kids. And, uh, and by the way, you gave a few months back for a van uh, for our children in Cambodia. This week, um, I think it was Thursday, they went and purchased it. And so the van is there, and they're driving it. If you need to see that, check out Grace's Facebook page or even my personal Facebook page. Today, God has a word to say to his kids, even though it was about 3,000 years ago. He's saying to us today, and he's telling us, just give, be generous. I've given you so much. And as he closes up this letter, he takes this paragraph, and he begins to say these things that, that hit hard. And he wants us to realize that he's given us resources, and we should give back to him a portion of that because it's his in the first place. Michael Jr. took that question on the streets, and he asked some people what it meant in their mind to give and what a tithe and authoring was, take a look at this view of Michael Jr., the comedian, asking people on the streets.
1: Yo, comedian Michael Jr. here, Pastor. Just as you requested, I'm about to hit the streets and see what the people have to say about giving to the church, whether it be giving offering or giving a tithe more specifically. A lot of people might know about tithing, but let's see what they really know about tithing. Tell me, when I say the word tithe, what do you think of? Of what? tithe. tithes. Yeah. It's giving uh, the first fruit of the best you got. Um, you're supposed to pay your tithes off of your earnings. I mean, that's what the Bible says to do. Whether it's cash or kind, whether you're getting money or you get a flock of sheep or you get a car. I'm sorry. Did you say a, f- a flock of sheep? A flock of sheep. Whatever it is that you get, 10% of we, that. We're in Orange County right now. I don't know if you people paying you in flocks of sheep <laughs> or something. I don't know... Where you work at, Tony? If it's in the Bible, then, hey, you know. So you you, you, you give your, your your tithes, your ten percent? Um, Did
0: thankful? you Did you
1: just say um? Do you give the tithe? I haven't given tithe in a while. Do you know what a tithe is? Like a wave? <laughs> There's a lot of people sitting in the congregation who can write a big check, and then you have people who don't have money, but they give of themselves. They might uh, usher, they may sing in a the choir, they may do... They might clean the bathrooms. There's so many different ways that you can get. So what, what what else do you do at the church? What else do I do at the church? <laughs> i sit in the congregation. <laughs> That's what I do. I'm not talking about me. I'm just saying. Yeah, Of course not. Are you looking for a church right now? Actually, I'm not looking right now. Yeah, cuz you that would that would help in giving a tie because if you, Uh what is the tithe? I don't know. What percentage of your income do you think you should I give? I go by that. I give what I feel I want to give. In the synagogue, they're not down to a percentage. Are, are you mad at me right now? Well, I don't like the question. Isn't it 2%? You don't mind if I told you all. Uh, so <laughs> we're still friends, though, right? Okay, we're still friends. So you feel like after you get more, then you can give more? Of course. Of course you can. When you give, do you give because you want to, or do you feel a little obligated to give?
0: I feel both ways sometimes, both ways. How would you answer that question when it comes to giving? Well, God has some principles here that he's given to the Israelites, God's people. Anytime you see Israelites, they're God's people. And he has these principles, and it's his last letter. And he's telling us, here are some principles for giving. And these principles that are in the Old Testament apply to us. And we take these principles and we bring them forward to our day. And we say, how do we apply that today? Right now, some of you aren't very happy with me because I'm talking about money. But it's okay because God talks about money. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus himself, 25% of the time when he talked about something, he talked about money. Why? Because money can be our God. Money can be our idol. Money can cause us to be very greedy or very, very generous. Money separates marriages. Money separates businesses. Money becomes a contention point if we're not handling it the way God wants us to handle. And so he's looking at us today, and he's telling us, these are the principles that I want you to play in your life with money. Grab your Bibles and turn to Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 6 through 12. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. If you need a a copy, hold your hand up. And when you find that passage, would would you stand with me and everyone stand as we read God's word out loud together. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. As God gets into this paragraph of his letter and Malachi is writing it down, he begins this portion of a letter, just like you and I would receive a letter today. He begins this portion of the letter reminding this, that he does not change. Why would God open this part of the letter on giving with, I do not change? Why did he think it was even important enough to to remind him of this truth? Because he must have noticed something in them that was causing them to want him to change. He's actually finding them in a place where they're not being obedient. And so he tells him, I do not change. God the Father is saying, you haven't done anything I have asked you. And here's the fundamental problem as we open up this paragraph of this letter. We want God to change, but are unwilling to change ourselves. We want God to change, but are unwilling to change ourselves. And so he's looking at them, and he's saying, wait a minute. And he's saying to us again today, listen, I don't need to change. I'm God. You're the one that needs to change. And so as he opens up this whole talk on giving, he's reminding them that that he doesn't need to change. But you know how we respond to this? We read this and we say, God, I don't like this part of the Bible. Like, why is it here? You don't have the right, God, to expect the same from me in 2015. And some of us will read this and and we we have the audacity to say, God, come on, get out of the stone age and get to 2015. It doesn't work like that anymore. And God is saying, wait a minute, I do not change. This principle that I laid out almost 3,000 years ago is as applicable today as it was then. And he's telling us, he's reminding us, "I do not change, but we want him to change." And as I was reading that again this week, and I was sitting in my office, I thought, I just need to shout out loud this thought: God has nothing to learn. Think about that for a second. He has nothing to learn. And so who are we to look at God and say, "God, like you need to change. Like this principle that, that was that many years ago, like that, that's no longer relevant today. God, get with the times. Come on, move forward to 2015. But God does not need to learn. God knows everything. It's not like God wakes up in the morning, walks to the God library, and reads about another author. He reads on how to how to lead his church and how to be God. No, there, God doesn't have a library. God is the library. And so he never has to learn. He knows everything. Imagine that thought for a second. God never has to learn. His IQ quotient will never change. It's perfect. He knows everything. He controls everything. He's sovereignly in control. He doesn't ever think a new thought or have to learn a new thought. He has already known it past, present, and future since the foundation of the world. And he has known it from beginning and he hasn't had a beginning. God never needs to learn. So what right do we have to go to God and question anything he says when what he requires from us and asks from us is completely perfect in every way? Seriously, God's IQ is not growing, nor is his wisdom, nor is his understanding, nor is his love, nor is his grace, and he's not shocked by our culture. Like, we can't look at God and say, God, now, you might have required them to bring sheep back then, but this is 2015. It's more difficult. They didn't have NIPSCO bills back, in, back then, God. Like, you didn't know about that when you said that. And you need to move forward a little bit. We need to change your thoughts. No, God, say, no, 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 no. I didn't know about it. I knew about it before you even breathed the breath. I knew about it before the foundation of the world was created. I know everything. I do not need to change anything, nor do I need to become more culturally relevant. So we see the Bible and we think, well, God's got to become more culturally relevant when we look at this passage. God has nothing to learn. He's not shocked by our culture today. He does not have to become more culturally relevant. God shapes culture and is not shaped by culture. We are the ones who let culture shape us. Think about that. He's a perfect father. If all of us had a chance, if we could say, God, I would like to have the perfect parents. Lord, give me the perfect parents. What person alive wouldn't want perfect parents? If we could have a choice, an imperfect or a perfect parent, who wouldn't want a perfect parent? Listen, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a perfect parent in God the Father. And he knows everything that's best for you. And so when he says this principle that you need to be generous, that you need to give this tithe and offering to me, he is absolute perfect in what he wants from us. So the Father God is saying, I'm not moving. I'm not going anywhere. I'm fully aware of what's best for you. I love you more than you realize, and you're breaking my heart by not being obedient to me. So God is saying, you must change. So when we read this, he's saying, I don't need to change in regards to this. You must change. God says, this is the best. If God says this is the best, then we need to ditch the rest and the other ideas. So imagine this. God's saying, I'm going to have a budget meeting with you. Imagine Jesus knocking at your door this week. You go to the door and there's Jesus. and He comes in and says, hey, I'm ready to have the budget meeting. Can you pull out your checkbook? Can you pull out all your receipts? Can you pull out your credit cards? Can you pull out your ATM? Can you pull out your investments? Let's, let's look at them. And so we pull them out and God looks at them and he takes and takes a look at them and we say, this is all we have, God. No, no, he said, no, you forgot about that. You forgot, how'd you know? I know everything. And it's not as if God isn't fully aware of what you're giving. And so he's looking and he's fully aware and he's saying to these, 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 these people who call themselves God followers, you are robbing me of what." is mine. So much that he's disturbed. He's His heart is broken. And he looks at his people, and he's looking at us today, and he says, the principle is this, there is money that I've given you, and you need to give a portion back to me. So how does he respond? Look at verse 7. In verse 7, he says this, is ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decree and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will what to you? What's it say? Return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Here's this picture. They're walking away from God. They're not being obedient, as a child isn't with his parents sometimes. And they're walking away, and God the Father is saying, you need to be doing this. And as they're walking away, he's looking at them saying, hey, listen to me. Please, listen to me. I love you. Turn around. And it says, when you turn around, he will meet you there. But the picture is they are walking away from God in disobedience, and he's asking them, he's pleading with them as a father, please turn around, turn around, get a grip on this. Do what I require and ask from you. The Bible is littered with instances. We we have how many times have we walked away, we won this path, and, and then we're like, ah, oh, uh, And God says, turn back, and we repent and go back. The Bible is littered with examples of, of people who, who worship God. How many, how many times in the Old Testament you see David crying, oh, Lord, I love you, God. You are great and awesome. All through the Psalms, you are, you are the anointed one. I bow down to you. The next chapter you read, oh, Lord, where are you at? Walking away, and he's saying, return, 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 return. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more generous you become. See, his grace always brings us back. He says, instead of bringing the roadkill for sacrifices, he reminds him to bring their best. You've heard me say this, but it's worth repeating. We willingly give him our worst every day when we go to him. Oh, Lord, please forgive me of this sin. We willingly, like we don't withhold any of our sin. It's not like, well, I'm going to withhold that one and live with the consequences of that for a long time, and I'm going to live in shame and guilt, and I'm just going to stay there. No, we bring, we we willingly give him all of our sin. We we say, here, Lord, take this. God, forgive me of that. And He says, if we confess, He forgives, and and we repent, He restores, and He remembers it no more. We just keep piling, we keep giving and giving and giving Him our worst. Yet we begrudgingly give Him our best and our offerings. Why? Because we think, we've been deceived to think that we can do a better job of managing his finances than he can. So he's looking at his kids and he's begging them, please return. He also tells them, if you don't do this, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Then he says this in verse 8. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes, and offerings. At the heart of God is generosity. What right, think about this for a second. Just, just process this thought with me, Kim. What right do we have to ever question God about anything. He's perfect in every way. What right do we have as mere mortals to go to God and question him? And not only question him, say, Lord, you need to change in this area. Like, this is a heavy burden to carry. Like, I understand back then when they bring in sheep and goats, but we're talking, we're talking Benjamins now, God. Like, why should I do that? What right do we ever have to to question a perfect God about anything he asks from us when he knows what's absolutely best for us. And not only does he know what's best, he promises to bless us if we're obedient in our walk with him. See, most people live in fear when it comes to money. Here's how it goes. If you trust in your money, then you live in fear. If you have investments, you know what you do, you watch them. And if you really live fearful, you watch them every day. You watch the Dow Jones. If they're in stocks and bonds, you watch them. It's like, and you wake up and think, oh, I gained, I gained one point. I gained, I gained one share. I got another share. The, the share split, and, and you feel better about your day based upon Dow Jones. Let me tell you, the best indicator of the market is Jesus Christ. He can care for you. He just asks us to be obedient, and he can do more than Dow Jones will ever do with your resources. Now, should we invest? Absolutely. Should we be good stewards of his money? Absolutely. But if you're living in fear and you're afraid to let go and give God what's already his, then your money has become your God. And he's looking at his kids and saying, listen to me, you're robbing me. You're robbing me. You're robbing me of what is mine. What's the word rob mean? The word rob means to take forcibly... They stole what belonged to God. Now, think about this: those of us who had children. Suppose you, you, you gave your child an ATM card, and they have this ATM card, and you said, this is the amount that you're able to draw on this account, from my account you tell them maybe it's $20, maybe it's 50 maybe it's $100, maybe it's $500 a year, maybe it's 1000 I don't know. And so you give them this card, and you say, here's the account money, I'm the, I'm the owner of this money, you're going to be a managing a portion of it. And so an ATM card, and so they go and they cash out because they know that they're allotted to this amount of money. And then you begin receiving bank statements from your bank. And you go online and you check out your bank statements and you realize, wow, there's like, there, it's overdrawn. It's overdrawn. It's overdrawn. It's overdrawn. I told them they could take 1000 and they're like taking 2000 And so you have this conversation and you look at your kids and you say, listen, you're overdrawing on your account. You were allotted this amount and you weren't supposed to take that amount. It's like us looking at God and saying, this is what is yours. It's all mine. You can manage this, but you're not giving me what is mine. You are robbing me of that. Obedience always draws us closer to God. Let me just say this. If you ever met a greedy person and you ever met a generous person, generally speaking as a principle, generous people Live better lives. Think about those of you who are employers. Think about those of you who own business. Think about those of you who, who have an opportunity to bring people on your team. Would you rather bring a greedy person or a generous person on your team? Which one would you rather bring? You would rather bring a generous person on your team. And the closer you get to God's heart, it is a generous God. And the farther you get away, the more greedy you become because you live and you think your security is in your investments. Have you ever been with greedy people? Have you ever, like, you feel like you're always picking up the tab, you're always doing this, they never offer, and, 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 and they're just greedy, and, and they live in fear, and you, you see them reading the Wall Street Journal every day, and, and then you, you hear these stories, these people, they pass on, and they have, like, $50 million, and they live like paupers, and they never shared it with their kids while they're alive. Why? Because there was fear That somehow the market would crash. And they were dependent upon their resources instead of upon their God. So he says this as a result of that. Look at verse 9. He says this. You are under a what? What's the word? Okay, help me out. You need to see this for yourself. Verse 9. You are under a what? Curse. He says your whole nation. Because you are doing what to me? What's the word? robbing me so he says the whole nation is under a curse because you're not giving back what i'm asking you to give to me so then he says this you're under a curse verse 10 bring the whole tithe a tithe that's 10 percent into the storehouse that there may be food in my house Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. it says bring the whole tithe, so that I can give you more than you could ever imagine. Verse eleven it says I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will, will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Then he says this in verse 12. Then all the nations will call you what? Bless. For yours will be what kind of land? What's the word? Delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. He blesses them when they give to him. And then he says this. The New American Standard says it this way. In NIV, it says, I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops. NIV says, I will rebuke The devourer. I will rebuke the devourer. It's not words or terminology that we use today. But the reality is, he says, I will rebuke, I will halt, I will prohibit the devourer from coming to your home, from coming to your marriage, from coming to your workplace, from coming to whatever you, I will rebuke the devourer. So there's this sense when we're obedient to God, he stands guard. Not only do we stand at the gate of our homes, but God. God stands guard and he halts, he prohibits the devourer from coming to your house, to your stuff, to your family. But he also says this, the opposite is true. If you don't give me the principle is this, what is mine, then you've just breached the door and I'm letting Satan right in. You know, 1 Peter 5, 8 says this. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You see, God holds back the devil's havoc on their crops when they are giving. So they're looking at the fields, and he's saying, why are fields, why did the locusts come? How come there's not a harvest there? How come fruit is dropping before it's ripe? How come we're not getting anything from all this hard work we put into the soil? How come the investments are flopping? How come my children are sick? How come, how come, how come, how come, how come, how come? It could very likely be the principle is this, because you're not giving, and I have let the devourer come and wipe out everything. It's a principle that, from the Old Testament, that is unbelievable. So, what does that mean to us today? Like, what's it mean today, Jim? Like, I understand crops. And I don't. I'm not a farmer. I don't have alfalfa. I don't have corn. I, I don't grow beans. I mean, I have a little garden. But what does it mean that he will he will rebuke the devourer? That he will prevent pest from coming and eating your crops how it plays out. So you've been praying for a job. Oh, Lord, I pray for job change. I pray, God, because my family needs more income, and this would help us. And if I got this job and moved there, then I would get this amount of money. If we got this amount of money, we could get ahead and pay off this debt. And so in our minds, we figured it all out. Like, if I get this, this plus takes away that negative. And, and so in our minds, we like, Lord, give me that. And so we go and get this job, but we refuse to give God what is his. And we go and get this job, and, and, and some of you have gotten that job, and, and, and you're making more money than you've ever made. But you look at the gross, the gross is more than you've ever made, but the net is less. And you're thinking, how can I be making more, and yet my bills are worse, and the net is worse than it was? Maybe, just maybe, just maybe, the principle is this, that he hasn't halted the devour. And maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, not in every case, but maybe in some cases, you're making more money, but you're driving down the road, and all of a sudden, you hear this clunking noise in your engine. And your engine blows up. Now you have to go get a new engine, $1,300. Maybe just maybe that reason that happened is because the devour came because you didn't give. Maybe, just maybe, your kid is sick, and all of a sudden, the sickness that wasn't there before shows up, and you're like, why do they keep getting sick, and you keep having all these bills? Maybe, just maybe, the principle is this, that he has let the devourer come, and now you have these bills climbing, you're making more money, and you can't make any headway, and God is saying, that's what's happening here, is because you're not giving. The opposite is true, too. You give what is God's have you ever had those moments like you've been faithful givers? Some of you continue to be faithful givers and you've been given a tithe and, and, and you, some of you even give offerings above that and, and, and how does that play out? It's not always like you get everything, but, but maybe God has prevented your child from getting sick and maybe your car did break down, but it broke down like right in front of someone you knew and you didn't have to get a tow truck. Have you ever connected the dots that maybe, just maybe? I can tell you time. Ann was driving our van. She was heading up north, and, and she was driving up 15 right in Bristol. And this was the early days, and we were in seminary, and she was driving a van. had 200,000 miles on it. We prayed it. We called it the Grace Mobile. Lord, just get us there. That's all. Just get us there, God. Just get, it, get us there. She was driving one day up 15, and we were living down on the lake. And, and the, the, the vehicle started making some noise. And, and this is before cell phones, and, and it, it, it just tanked out. It's on 15. So she drifts off the road, didn't know where she was at, and looks to the right, dr- drifts off the road, and as she's drifting off the road, she notices that there's this driveway, and she drifts up, and she was able to drift right up to a pay telephone right beside the vehicle. Why? I really believe that was God's blessing and favor on my wife's life because I'll be very personal. See, I believe in this principle it's not a promise. It's not like God's cash in, give the God He gives back. It's not a return. We don't use God as an ATM. But since I've been little, very little, the principle was given to me that you give God what's His, and God can do more with His ten percent than you could ever do with a hundred percent. And so we've been tithing. I mean, even when we went through seminary. I, I, I'll give you give you a couple of ex- examples. One year we made thirteen thousand. Another year we made sixteen thousand. We had zero on our credit card when we graduated from seminary. When we graduated from seminary, my seminary bill was completely paid. And I remember when we came to Goshen here, we got called here to Goshen, and we didn't have any debt. And, and, and because a, a car broke down one time in, in, in the same van broke down one time, We're were was driving to see some friends down in Rochester, and the electronic ignition module went out on it. And and so we found out what it costs, and and and. We found out how much it would be, and it was $198 and some odd cents. And, and, and so we're like, Lord, we don't have $198. We don't have anything in the bank. We're living week to week. But, Lord, we believe this is what you want us to do. The very next day, Anne goes to the front porch, opens up the mailbox, and there's this card. She opens it up, and inside flops out $200 bills. And they said, the Lord had impressed on our hearts just a few days ago that you would need $200. Like, well, yeah, we do. Yeah, Yeah, we do. God is always faithful to his word and he will never require more from us than what we can do. Hundreds of times in my life it's been that way. Just hundreds of times. But we've always been faithful to give God what's his. Why? Because God wants us to. (laughs) He's asking us to. So, a few weeks back, when in the same letter, when when God wanted to talk to his kids about giving, and he talked about tithing, I said one statement or a couple statements in the message and spent about five minutes on it. So that Sunday afternoon, I received an email, and the heading says tithes and offerings. And it went something like this. Pastor Jim, who do you think you are? That you can manipulate your people to tell them that they should give 10%. This is the new covenant. This is the New Testament. That's an old covenant. That happened in the old days. Like, you are manipulating your people. This isn't, God does not require that from us. And he said a lot of other nice things, too. You know, my response to that is, it's always the same. Yes, that's the old covenant. But let me just bring some of us up to speed. When Jesus came in the New Testament... Jesus, when he talked about adultery, an Old Testament law says do not commit adultery. When Jesus came, he says, even if you look at a woman lustfully, you committed adultery. When Jesus came, he didn't lower the bar, he raised it. So why would God ever expect less from a New Testament wealthiest people on planet Earth than he did the poorest Israelite who all he had was crops in the field? God never lowers the bar. He always raises it. So, am I trying to control and manipulate you? I'm telling you that this is a principle. This isn't a promise. This is a principle in God's Word, and it's a good principle. God owns it all. We are to manage it, and we are to give Him what is His. So, we do. Personally, we do. Anne and I do. And one of our goals, you've heard this before, but I'll share it again. And one of the things I've realized, too, through the years is you show me someone who's a regular giver to God. I'll show you a generous person. I'll show you a happy person. You show me someone who doesn't give to God. I will show you a person who lives in fear and who lives in greed. And right now, they hate me with this message. But you show me someone that's given, they understand. Parents, I encourage you to teach your children. As soon as they get an offering, as soon as they make money, as soon as they get a gift, set aside 10% for God because that's what God wants. And so that principle will become a principle throughout their lives. Let me speak to husbands right now, dads. We are the gatekeepers of our families, those of us who are married. We, 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 we guard the gate of our homes. We, as the word said, we are the head of the family. We are the head of the home. We, we are the, the, the umbrella, spiritual umbrella of the home is what Ephesians tells us. We are supposed to take and listen to our wives and to collectively together as we take the input from both. And then we are responsible for the answer. We are to guard the gate of our home. And God is saying, if you're not guarding the gate by giving what is his what you've done you've moved away you've opened the front door and you said here satan have it at it with my kids with my marriage with my future with everything that's here listen no man that loves jesus christ is guarding the gate when he lets the devourer storm an open door and have access to his home here's what the principle is i'll speak very candidly to men today husbands today Maybe you're that man that says, well, we only have this much. I can't give. I can't do that. Listen, God would never ask more from you than he th- thinks you can do. Here's, what, here's the principle. Let me just speak very candidly to you today. If you're a husband here today, you are robbing God. Wives, your husband is a thief. That's what God is saying. You're married to a thief. You, I can't tell you how many times over the years... That I have had wives speak to me and say, Pastor Jim, I would love to give, but my husband doesn't want to give. I would love to give, but my husband doesn't want to give. I would love to give, but my husband, I go home and I hear that, and I want to be obedient. What am I supposed to do when my husband doesn't want? And so what you're doing, husband? you know what you're doing? You're opening the door of your house, and you're saying, hey, God's not going to rebuke that devourer. Here, God's not going to prevent the pest from being destroyed. Here, have it, at it at my home. But the opposite is true, too. When we trust in God with our resources and our finances, you know what we do? (laughs) We stand and guard the gate. You know what? God comes and stands in front of us. Now, that's an impenetrable force if I've ever seen one. See, there's more to this than just giving. So how does that play out in our lives? Well, maybe maybe you've gotten this new job, and all of a sudden your dryer breaks down. Man, that thing was working great. Summer comes around. The, air, the, the, the compressor on your air conditioner is gone. Like, why did that happen? That thing's only two years old. Your kid wakes up with this rare disease. I'm not connecting all those thoughts. Sometimes God brings, allows that stuff to come. And yes, stuff like that normally happens in our lives. But, and he also provides a way out so that we can grow. But often it could be the very reasons because the devourer has come. So God is saying, don't give out of what remains. Give, beginning with 10%. It has nothing to do with how much you make either. I hear people say, well, when I make more, I'll give more. Oh, baloney, you won't. This is not an excuse to not give. God says, just give. So these Israelites are robbing God. And this is how God sees it. It's an obedience issue. So then he says this, test me in this. Like, don't you love, like, God saying, okay, okay, you don't, you don't think so? Yeah, right, just give me a chance. If you don't think I'm good on my word? Then you don't think I don't change? Then, then just test me on this. Come on, come on, come on, give me a chance. And so rarely in Scripture. In fact, this is the only instance I know where God says, test me in this. He said, test me in this and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and give you so much. By the way, it's just not money return. It's often, often the, the satisfaction and contentment of walking with them. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more content you are. I have never met a generous person and a regular giver to God who's in bondage. But I have met tons of people who aren't regular givers and aren't generous people who are in all kinds of bondage and live in fear. Besides, financial partnership with God is the best partnership that you'll ever have. God says, test me in this. So here's the picture. He says, test me in this. He said, this is how much you have. Let's start with what you have. This is what I gave you. By the way, God gives it all anyhow. It's all his. We're just managing it. We're just being a steward of it. He said, test me in this. Start pouring it out. Start giving back what's already mine and see if I will not keep bringing it. And so it's this picture. We give and God keeps giving back. We give and he keeps giving back. We give and he keeps giving back. We give and he keeps giving back. He keeps giving, he keeps giving, we keep giving. It's his principle. It's all his anyhow. He says, test me. I will pour out. Literally, the word pour out means to empty it. Out. He says, this is what I can do for you if you just trust me with this promise and a principle of obedience. So look at that. Literally. Overflowing. Didn't do that in the first service, but it did it in the second. Thanks, God. <laughs> but this is the Principle. That's what a life of a follower, of a person that follows Jesus Christ, that's what their life looks like, overflowing. And you know what the word blessed means, by the way, a blessing? It means happiness. The closer you get to Jesus, the more obedient you are. Even when everything else is crumbling around you, you can smile in the midst of the ashes because God is with you and he is rebuking the devourer. Listen, I don't understand. Be quite frank. You you can be mad at me because the reality is, don't be mad at me because this is what God said. But the reality is this. When you're obedient, the joy of the Lord resonates in you. This could be a message for you that could turn it all around. And he's screaming to us right now don't you think I know what you make? Don't you think I know what you need? Don't you think that I've seen and witnessed every portion of your life? Why don't you trust me? It's like we look at God and we think somehow, Lord, if I do that, you're going to leave me short somehow. I'm not going to be better off. Do you think you'll ever regret that? And then he says this in closing, this little portion of the letter in this last paragraph. I love the last paragraph, and he says, or the last sentence, he says this in verse 12. Then all the nations will call you what? Blessed. For yours will be what kind of land? A delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I love this because here's the picture. Back in that day, they would see the fields and they would see fields that the locusts had come and wiped it out. They it, it, it ate up all the, the whole harvest, and it was just barren. And they would say, wow, that's not a delightful land. But when they would see these fields or these trees where the fruit was hanging low, and it was lush, and, and it, was, it was tasty, and, and it was green, and, and the harvest was good, they looked at those fields, and they looked at those families and said, the blessed are you. And in reality, what they're saying is, your God is good. That was 3,000 years ago. In 2015, God's saying, don't you think I can do for you what I did for them? Don't you think that it's possible that the reason you're in the situation you're in is because the devourer is eating up your crops? Don't you think that you can trust me in this? One of the best decisions you'll ever make, ever make ever, ever, ever make, is to give God what's his. Ann and I have made this decision along the way. Our desire as we age has been this, that the government takes a certain percentage of money from us every year. Like, how would that work if you went to Uncle Sam's? Say, hey, you're not taking 20%. That's not happening. You're not taking 10% this year. It's not happening. He just. What's he do? He just takes it. He just takes it. Take, 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 take. One of our desires has been for Ann and I is this, and progressively we're getting there, to give as much to God as we give to the government. You see, because it begins with the tithe, and there's an offering above that. And there has never been a moment in our lives that we went without. Listen to me, there's freedom in giving. And if I had a choice between people I would hire, would I hire a generous person or a greedy person? I would hire a generous person every time. And God is saying, when you do this, not only are you blessed, but the nations will see that your God is good. A long time ago, there was a hymn that we would sing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. You see, when we love Jesus more than we love the stuff of this world, there's peace, there's contentment, and there's joy. Lord, I pray today. I pray people won't walk away angry. We recognize that this is a principle of the Old Testament, but this principle is a good principle. That you're the owner and we're the manager. I pray, God, that we wouldn't hold tightly to what is already yours. I pray, God, that we wouldn't think that somehow or some way that we could manage better the resources that you give us. I pray, God for those that are robbing you. That you, Spirit, would convict them. And I pray, God, that they would make it right. Because ultimately, God, you get greater glory for it as the nations look at the fields and the harvest of Christ's followers. And they say, your God is good. Help us to return to you. Help us to be obedient children so that you get greater glory. Help us to turn our eyes upon you. In Jesus' name,
1: amen.